monetizing digital services since 2004, boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG, where innovation meets monetization. Welcome to the HCI family of podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Welcome to the podcast. In today's episode, I talk with Kathy Enderez about the recent report from the Josh Person Company, The Definitive Guide to Pay and Benefits, The Road to Systemic Rewards. Kathy Enderez, welcome to the conversation today. Thanks, John. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you back. You've joined me now, I don't know, a handful of times. It's always wonderful to have a chance to chat with you, to get your insights on all things human capital and the changing nature of work. Uh, I'm super excited today to talk about the new report out from the Josh Burson Company called the Definitive, excuse me, the Definitive Guide to Pay and Benefits: The Road to Systematic Rewards. We're going to unpack that, talk through the report and the key findings, uh, and I'm super excited to really just dive on in. As we get started, I wanted to share Kathy's bio with everybody. Kathy Enderez is Senior Vice President of Research and a Global Industry Analyst at the human capital advisory firm, the Josh Burson Company, the world's largest community for HR. She has over 20 years global experience in human capital, talent and performance management, and change management from consulting with IBM, PricewaterhouseCooper, Ernst & Young, uh, lots of different places, working with companies of various sizes from Fortune 50 companies to startups in multiple industries, including technology and healthcare, and leading research on all topics of HR talent and technology. She is passionate about making work better and more meaningful. And I share that passion, Kathy, a pleasure to have you back. Anything else you would like to highlight by way of your background, personal context before we dive on into the report? Well, um, I think about, this is great, and I'm super excited about talking about this topic because I think it's a topic that's very near and dear to everybody's heart. How you get paid is at the center and at the heart of our whole employee experience. It can also elevate communities, elevate diversity. It's just very, yeah. very important. So I'm super passionate about making this topic um, better and more meaningful too. So it aligns really with my to- my passion there. Well, wonderful. And maybe as an opening caveat, you know, uh, anyone who's familiar with the academic research on pay knows that pay tends to be known as what we call a satisficer. So as a motivator, you know, it's it's something that you kind of have to have it at an equitable base level. Otherwise, people get very dissatisfied very quickly. Um, pay in and of itself won't always be the thing to to add a ton of extra motivation to people, but it will take away motivation as fast or faster than anything else, right? And so with that kind of a, an opening um, to this entire conversation, I, I want to point out that 
given that nature of the role of pay and employee motivation and engagement, sometimes what I see organizational leaders do is they use that as a justification to say, see, pay doesn't matter. Uh, if, if I pay people more, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to help them perform better. It's not going to motivate them or whatever. So pay doesn't matter. And so then they don't pay market rates or they don't do the types of things that they need to do to make sure it's equitable, fair, and that people feel good about you know, how the company is investing in them. And that is about the dumbest thing you can do. Uh, so we're, we're going to dig into all of that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think thinking about cutting employee expenses and pay is obviously the biggest employee expense by yeah. far. And for most companies, it's the biggest expense overall that they have on there, especially now with hybrid work and you don't have so many offices anymore. And mm -hmm. most companies, apart from maybe manufacturing companies that have big, like, um, right. like factories or something like that. Most companies, their payroll is the biggest expense overall of the company, 60 to 70 to sometimes 80 or like more um, percent of your company's expenses are in employee costs. But it's really not an expense at all. It should be an investment in the future because right. investing in people is is how the best companies actually see that. And then they invest, of course, wisely because when you think about investing, you don't just throw money at things. You really prioritize yep. and see where do I get the most out of my investment? So when you think about your stock or your portfolio or your investment portfolio, the same thing, right? You don't just say we add, add, add. We say, where do I have most likelihood to get the most out of my investment? So we think investing in people is actually the most, the most um, advanced thing that you can do because then when you invest in people, when you prioritize, it gives back. So people don't depreciate. All other assets depreciate. People actually are like they get they get better the more that you invest in them, yep. right? And the longer you have them, they have more skills, they have more relationships, they know your customers, they know your products, um, so they actually appreciate in a way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, wonderful. Let me start by just asking a really basic question: Why this report? The Josh Burson Company puts out lots of really great industry research and reports. What was it about the current state of affairs in the world and in the world of work that made you think, you know, the time is right with, that we focus in on pay and benefits? Well, I mean, one thing, of course, is it's such a big expense or such a big factor yeah. in companies kind of overall um, like budget of investments or, or expenses, however you see it. So that's one of the things. But the other thing was, of course, with inflation going up significantly with um, the labor market increasingly tight, and we are really have entered a, a period of what we call talent scarcity. It's no longer that you can get enough people. Literally, you can't get enough more people anymore because they're just not there. So that's another thing. And for people, um, for employees, a study of the study shows it's with the inflation, with uh, not being able to make ends meet, it's one of their most important requirements and the most important factors in the employee experience overall. Yeah. So it used to be more work-life balance, it used to be maybe health and well-being during the pandemic. Now it's pay because people say, I have to work two jobs. I can't even make ends meet. Even people that make over six figures, um, one of two of them, one in two of them lives paycheck to paycheck. So, um, it's which, just, which is crazy, right? Like that, to, like, to, to yeah. think, you know, people within really, you know, great careers, high paying yeah. jobs, living paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck that's to the paycheck. world we're in today. Yes. That's <laughs> the world we're in today. Exactly. So we're in this world where, uh, people are just looking at the pay and that's a lot of times the most important factor for them to join a company. 
and to stay in the company too, because, and it's, it's right. So even if you love your job, but you can't make ends meet, you're going to go somewhere where somebody helps you make ends meet. So it's, and if you have, we talked about pay equity the last time we talked, that mm-hmm. of course factors into the whole equation too. Even if you can make ends meet, but you question your pay constantly, you don't think it's fair, you don't think it's equitable, you're still not going to trust the company and your performance will suffer and in turn, the organization's results will suffer. Yeah, that trust piece, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a really key piece to all of this. And a part of that then leads to this requirement for more transparency. And maybe we can start there since you just mentioned trust. Um, but I'm wondering what, if anything, you found in this report around trade pan, uh, pay transparency, the role of trade pan, uh, pay transparency in pay and benefits within organizations, uh, in in part to foster this trust, but to, to help people recognize and, and be able to better utilize the pay and benefits that are provided to them. Yeah. I mean, when we studied the whole um uh, like gamut of what we call what is commonly called total rewards and we can unpack that mm-hmm. too i don't want to call it uh, but when we studied all of this we thought about very holistically what's the overall package that people get what's the deal that people get so we studied of course compensation all the different compensation elements and we say this needs to be competitive we looked at all the typical benefits like health and well-being health mm-hmm. benefits like pension plans time off those kind of things even perks uh, then we looked also at health and well-being separately because it's just such a big topic, especially now uh, that people still are very stressed out and burned out. But then we also said, what's the bigger p- p- picture of that? Um, what's What else is in the employee deal? So we said, this also includes, should include what career I can build here, how much flexibility I have, um, where can I basically move as an as a person um, with my skill building and all of that what's the purpose do I get recognition those kind of things and then we also said it should also include of course uh, pay equity so we said all of this is part of the deal and when we showed this um, when we showed this um, like this framework that we set out um, mm-hmm. it's a really comprehensive frame, framework to rewards leaders some of them said to us like, why are these things on here? I don't own flexibility, career purpose. I don't own pay equity. So take this off. And we said, no, it shouldn't be off here. It needs to be on here because we don't really care who owns it for the employee. It's part of trusting the organization. They watch out for me. So that kind of trust is really, really at the core of it. And you ask about pay transparency overall. Uh, pay transparency for us when we uncover that is important but it's not enough because it's a step into pay equity. Just because you're transparent, you might still be inequitable because you might transparently disclose the pay ranges, for example, for a certain job when you post it or when you have a job posting. And I know it's already a legal requirement for a lot of states now and more and more get added. Um, even if it's not a legal requirement, it's good practice. But even if you, uh, if you uh, post transparently, but then you hire um, like not fairly. So in other words, you have unfair hiring criteria, you may be disadvantaged um, women without maybe without wanting to or something like that. You might have pay transparency, you might still not have pay equity. So pay equity is bigger than pay transparency in our book. Um, and uh, we have all the data to sh- share that to show that too. Like pay transparency is, in other words, pay transparency is necessary, but it's not sufficient for pay equity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, very good. So I know in this report, you're looking at all the pay practices in this this 
post-pandemic world of work, hyperinflation, right. uh, multi-generational workforce, all of the challenges related to, you even just referred to it, some of the legislations that are coming out uh, in various places around pay equity and 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 those sorts of things. Uh, I'm wondering if there's anything in particular that you would like to highlight from some of the key findings in relation to just where we're at today, say in comparison to even three years ago um, when we were uh, just in the throes of the pandemic. Yeah, it's a great question. And what we found out when we started this, and it was maybe not surprising, but for us, it was a little bit surprising how stark it was, uh, is pay practices, uh, I would say, stuck in the 80s. I mean, it's really that behind. Pay practices mm-hmm. are the most behind practices of all the HR practices. If you think about, for example, all the other things like talent acquisition, for example, we talk a lot about candidate experience. It's very important to attract your candidates and AI use that to personalize emails and whatnot and attract the right candidates. Learning mm-hmm. and development, for example, you have a lot of AI and virtual reality and like immersive yeah. learning, um, any kind of other discipline. You have a very employee focused, very transparent, very kind of um, human centered in a way. Yeah. Um, pay practices are still very rigid, very non-transparent. For most companies, they're still like once you're in an organization, there's still no disclosure on who, not just who, not really who makes what, but what role should get what pay ranges. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very behind, like even pay philosophies or compensation or rewards philosophies are never transparent to employees. They don't understand at all. What's the deeper thought behind it? Why do I get a pay increase? When I get a pay increase? Why don't I get a pay increase? How do I get a promotion? Why is my performance rating like this? Why is another person maybe getting more? What even are all the benefits that are available to me? And is there any thought and rhyme and reason behind that? Very, very behind the curtains. Very rigid too. But everything is changing all the time. Skills are changing all the time. Jobs are changing all the time. Just think about all the AI stuff that's coming in now that changes everybody's job, right? Um, So we have designed these very rigid, like hierarchical models, very behind the curtains, very administrative kind of compliance-oriented functions in, in compensation and rewards. They haven't kept up with the world of work where change is constant. Industries are transforming all the time. You don't even know what industry you're in anymore because <laughs> you're retail, you're also in healthcare, and you're in financial services and everything else, right? So right. you're constantly changing. And yet we have this very, very narrow focus of benchmarking and like these like pay levels and bands that um, nobody can know about. So you ask about the transparency too. That's part of that too. Uh, companies like SAP and Capital One, for example, they are letting every employee see the pay ranges, not the individual pay of every person. They can't see what Kathy makes, but they can see what a person in Kathy's job, what the pay levels, the pay ranges are. Huge, huge difference that that makes, of course, because the employees say, aha, this is what I make. I'm in this band. Here's where the next band is going or where other job functions maybe have like higher job bands and they can say, oh, maybe I want to move into this function. And that's and maybe also explain to them why data science, for example, is making more than marketing, right? Because it's a high in demand skill, like the market is paying more for that skill. Uh, but if people don't realize that somebody who is in marketing might never know, oh, 
I could actually, if I upskill and up level a little bit, maybe I could go into data science because I have adjacent yeah. skills. Um, that kind of broader, and that's why we call it systemic thinking, really is key in all of this. Well, yeah. And, and I know one of the things that came out in the report, 44% of employees believe that they're underpaid. That's yeah. almost half, right? Yeah. And are, are nearly half of all employees underpaid in reality? Well, I mean, that's, I guess, a subjective question in part, but no, it, but it's, it's, this is driven yeah. by a lack of transparency and people don't trust. They, they, they feel like they're being cheated, right? So they yeah. feel like they're being underpaid. And so one of the easiest ways to address that, I mean, sometimes they are being underpaid and then you need to be thinking about your pay philosophy and strategy and, and try to yeah. do better. But, um, but most of the time, I think most companies are trying to pay people a fair market wage and rate and people are being paid fairly, but there's this huge gap between perception and reality. Oh, yeah. And, and that's on the, that's on HR and that's on like the leadership in the organization to better communicate all of this. And when you see that kind of a level of gap, 50%, oh, almost 50%, you know, th that means leaders have a lot of work to do uh, in communicating pay and benefits. Yeah, absolutely. Like what we saw in this study, and you called it out too, um, there's a huge uh, like impact from having two things on that beyond just focusing on pay equity. When you think about how you do total rewards and rewards and, and pay and benefits um, strategy, so having a very clear strategy, a defined strategy, a strategy you can explain to people as well, and communication. So if you have a strategy, if you say, yes, maybe some companies say we we don't pay at market range, right? Some some of them say we have to pay below market range for a number of reasons. Well, right. be, be, be open about it, be clear about it. And then people can make a conscious choice to say, it's worth it for me because maybe this work environment is great. Maybe I have a lot of flexibility. I can work remotely, whatever. But if you're not clear about your philosophy and your strategy, uh, up front, here's our strategy also for our benefits. Personally, I think and we showed this in the study. A lot of companies don't have a lot of strategy around benefits. They just pile <laughs> on, right? It's like they get yeah. the big book. I remember when I joined, um, like dec decades ago, I came to the U.S. and I joined a big consulting company, and I we went into the orientation and I was all excited and I got this huge binder slapped on the table. Everybody got one. That had your know, hundred benefits on it, and I'm like, "What is this?" And then I got all excited. I tried to read it, but of course, I got so busy at work, I never got to read it. And I never knew about all these great benefits. I think that's what a lot of companies do. They just pile on because mm -hmm. they say, "Oh, somebody else is offering that." But to the point that we made earlier, investments—is it really a wise investment to spend so much on these benefits that maybe nobody values, nobody even knows about? Nobody really cares about, maybe a few people know this or care about it, but you never want to take something away because you say, oh, people will mind. I bet people won't mind for a lot of these benefits if then you give them maybe higher compensation or you give them more fair compensation, uh, like you focus on pay equity, or you give them other things that we showed this in our research too. People actually value a lot more three um, things that really don't cost anything. Recognition, yeah. constant recognition, flexibility, um, where you work, how you work, and autonomy, and um, and a great career. And yeah. those those things actually don't cost you anything, right? You don't have to invest a lot of money in helping people build a great career. You just have to help them know what skills you need and what skills you value and then help them build these skills. 
um, you have to give them great recognition. And great recognition doesn't have to cost anything. It might be as easy as just saying thank you and starting meetings with acknowledging who has done a great job, right? And having that more cultural piece in there. And then, of course, um, flexibility, like the whole hybrid work discussion, mm -hmm. it could actually be a huge cost saver, of course, on your facilities, but even on maybe on your benefits, because people might say, I really don't need your gym membership if I can ha work from home and maybe I can go for a run, right? <laughs> After work or something like that or on my lunch break. So, so I think it's a trade-off. It's really this, like looking at this investment portfolio, uh, listening to employees really comes in there too. So we identified when we think about communication, it's most important not to benchmark because benchmarking just assumes your employee population is similar to somebody mm -hmm. else's. And they're never the same, right? Your employee population is nothing like anybody else's employee population. So why not listen to your employees? Ask them what they want. Uh, observe what benefits and what offerings they use. Um, and then tailor your communication to what the employees really are looking for. And I, I still remember when I started working in healthcare, that was like early 30s. And they told me all about the great uh, like pension plan that they had and all the retirement benefits because the person that talked with me just happened to be like close to retirement probably and uh, they probably thought it was very important but I'm like I'm <laughs> uh, like I don't really think about that maybe I should have right but uh, children they didn't tell me about all the great uh, maternity benefits that they had and their healthcare company obviously they had great um, like all of that like great care for when you actually have have children and then when you want to uh, like the child care benefits and all of that, they didn't tell me about any of that. And I'm like, well, the, the retirement stuff really didn't make me come there. Or, like <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Now I think it's great. Of course, I get a pension, right? I still get that pension, although I don't work there anymore. But I think that just tailoring what really candidates and employees are looking for um, and then really personalizing mm -hmm. What you communicate to them, it comes back to the point of communication um, and really explaining and, and seeing what matters to people. Yeah. So the endless menu of of these benefits and perk options that so many organizations have, you're you're suggesting that this isn't necessarily a wise investment. <laughs> we're throwing <laughs> we're throwing money at the wall, like spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks, right? And to a certain extent, you can experiment, you can do that a little bit, but but you should be paying attention to what sticks and what falls. <laughs> exactly. And not saying, oh, well, it's stuck at the wall, we can never take it off because then you yeah. have all the spaghetti at the wall all the time, right? But uh, I think most yeah. companies are just afraid. They'll say, oh, people got used to it. And I think they feel like it's a takeaway. Well, that's when you want to ask people what really matters to them and give them choices, right? Said, so, would you rather yeah. have this or that? Would you rather have this or that? And if it's more like a trade-off thing, I guarantee you, people will, most people will say, if you give me the choice between this like Chinese menu of all these things and um, flexibility, autonomy, um, a great career, yeah. like what would you choose, right? Because the yeah. great career is, is something that keeps with you also even after you leave the organization. And let's be clear, like most people will leave your organization at some point. Yeah. So they'll always look more for what's, what's, What's um, enduring for us, basically? What's enduring for me? What helps me uh, get ahead with where, where I want to go? Yeah, well. yeah, absolutely. Well, you've already referred to it a couple times, but this idea around a systemic rewards mindset, this pay paradigm, maybe explain a little bit more about that. And we can take our, the last few minutes we have together to to 
explore what that really means and why it's important for leaders to develop this systemic rewards mindset. Yeah, it's great. Um, So um, when when we started studying this, we heard a lot, obviously, about total rewards, right? Total rewards is this notion that you have yeah, of course, you're going to pay people and then you pile on all these benefits and you say, oh, what's the whole package of pay and benefit, basically, like compensation and benefit. But then we said, well, is that really all there is? And it's not right. As we just um, as we just talked about it, like the whole deal, the employee deal is so much bigger than just mm-hmm. pay and benefits. It also includes your health, your well-being, but it also includes your career, right? Um where you work, how you work, flexibility, autonomy, what kind of decisions you can make, what's the purpose of the organization, do you feel aligned with the organization overall, think about it, like really what makes people come and what makes people stay in an organization, and of course the money is important, and you got to pay well, we shall show that too, but the other things, and then is what, what I get paid, and also what rewards I get overall, is that fair and equitable, equitable, so uh, we said we gotta re- like blow up this mindset of total rewards. That's really just about benchmarking, piling on, uh, just really administrating, of course, and mostly in Excel spreadsheets. By the way, um, uh, like uh, like compensation and and job catalog and all of that. Let's think about holistically from an employee perspective. What's the employee deal? And that could include things that the head of total rewards doesn't own, right? It could include things like career. And so they'll have to work with learning and development, for example, with the learning and development team in a systemic way. If you think about um, things like recognition, for example, well, who owns recognition? Kind of every manager owns recognition, right? Every, Every leader owns recognition. Every employee owns recognition. So thinking about not just what, um, total rewards has to do that total rewards department has to do but systemically thinking about pay equity uh, like how you how you get the employee deal the right employee t- deal to your candidates to your employees working with communication of course as we talked about too with the business strategy overall too because your pay philosophy has to be aligned with business strategy as well yeah. so blowing up that mindset of like rigid total rewards to the, systemic because it's really a system of things that Mm -hmm. all create that great employee deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well, Kathy, this has just been a really great conversation. Of course, we've only scratched the surface. I would really encourage anyone in the audience to go check out the full report uh, with the Josh Burson company. Again, that is titled the definitive guide to pay and benefits, the road to systemic rewards, Uh, great report and so many great gems in there. Kathy, before we wrap things up for today, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team there at the Josh Burson Company, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. This is, um, it was so it was so great and the time has flown. <laughs> um, yeah. So get in touch with me. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn um, and I'd love to connect with you. I think just today I, I, I shared an article on this topic, actually, that was published in a in HRD zone, um, it's mm. a UK publication where they interviewed me on this. So uh, I wrote about five myths of of, um, system, uh, of total rewards. So you can, uh, we covered many of them, but you can read about that. And so I post a lot on LinkedIn as well. And our, the Josh Burson company, we do a lot of research on all those topics, including uh, pay and reward, pay and benefits and rewards. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of new research coming out this um, this fall as well. 
um, in the big theme that actually aligns with this theme of um, the post-industrial era, uh, mm-hmm. where we talk about a new world of HR, for example, um, how you create a more dynamic organization and new leadership models. So those are things that are coming up very soon for us as well. One last word on on the pay and rewards topic. I think it's really time for change. It's time for um, rewards to step up to the plate and the rewards team really to think about holistically how they can invest in their people in a in a much more employee employee and business centered way. So employee and business centered is actually not at odds with each other. It's really part of two sides of the same coin. Yeah, well said. Kathy, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Kathy and her team can do for you. Check out this report and other reports with the Josh Burson Company. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Monetizing digital services since 2004. Boosting the entertainment industry by making digital content accessible for everyone. AWG. Where innovation meets monetization.